Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we spend time with you in your Word tonight, I pray that you would soften our hearts. We pray against distractions. We, we pray against the enemy who wants to snatch the seed of the word that has been planted or will be planted for the first time in some people's hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified this night on this campus. I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Second Samuel 23, warriors of God. Now, according to one source actually probably more than one source, uh, chapters 21 through 24 serve as an appendix to 2 Samuel. So it's, it's just something that's added to the end of it. And, and it seems to focus on the divine and human sides of leadership. It seemed to focus on the divine and human size of leadership, just speaking of chapters 21 through 24. So they may not be in chronological order. And so in tonight's study, as mentioned in the title, uh, we're going to talk about the warriors of God and, of course, learn about these things that are going to help us to continue on our journey uh, of learning how to reach our full potential in Christ. And so we want to keep that in mind as we look at verse 1 in 2 Samuel 23. And there it says, Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed or appointed king of God, of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And in verse 2, he says, the spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. Now, now where it says that these are the last words of David, it just means here that these are his last inspired written words from the Lord. So that's what it means here. That's the context here. But we see in verse 2 that David describes himself as a man that spoke the word of God by the spirit of God. And that's not something that he only said about himself, but Jesus in the New Testament also acknowledged that David spoke by the Holy Spirit. And so if you want to jot down Mark chapter 12, verse 36, you could take a look at that and even read the verses before it. But, but that's one place that Jesus acknowledged that, yes, David spoke by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit gave him what to say, and David spoke it. David wrote it. And then even on the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached the word of God as he preached the gospel. This long sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 2. In that sermon, Peter even called David a prophet. In other words, he called him a spokesperson or a spokesman of God, speaking the words 
of the Lord. And so you have instances with Jesus and, and Peter here in the New Testament that supports David's claim that the spirit of the Lord spoke by him. And there's something interesting that's said about prophecy in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21. It says that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. And it says that it says for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so you see you see here uh, a description of 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 how God used certain men that he set aside to write down his word. His inspired word. That means his, his breathed out word. And so it says here that these holy men of God, they, they spoke as they were moved. And if you look behind that word, it means to be carried along. And so, and so they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And they spoke that way and they wrote that way. And so, yes, man was involved with the writing of the scriptures, but it was not just Man, it was the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit carrying them along. They spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And and David here shows us an example of that. He claimed that Jesus corroborated that. And for us, what we can take from that is that we want to be in that place where we could also be a vessel that the Lord can speak through. We want to be one of the mouthpieces of the Lord. We want to speak and share what he shares with us and share it when he wants us to share it and share it how he wants us to share it. And so if we're going to be a vessel that the Lord can use to to speak through, then number one, we need to get the word of God in us. And so the number one way is to open up the book, the Bible, God's manual. Open that up, read it, digest it, chew on it, meditate upon it. Meditating upon the word of God means that you chew on it just like a cow will chew on the cud and you chew on it. It goes down and it comes back up. Chew on it some more. Ponder what the word of God is saying, but get the word of God in you. So, so that's one thing we need to do if, if we're going to be vessels that the Lord can use to speak through just like he used David. And then the second thing is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we have so many things going on in our lives that we're not as sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we need to be. So many things crowding our minds. So many activities. So many interests that are crowding our lives and clouding our minds so be sensitive to the holy spirit and then number three if we're going to be vessels the lord can use to speak through we must be surrendered to the holy spirit and so if we want more of the filling of the holy spirit which speaks to being controlled by the holy spirit And so that's what I hear. That's another way of saying, of understanding what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means being under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's going to happen, that means we need to give more of us to him. That that, that's surrender. And that's the third point I wanted to share with you on, on how we can be vessels the Lord can use as his mouthpieces, just like he used David. And in verse three, it says, the God of Israel said, 
the rock of Israel, spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Like how he calls him the rock of Israel. He's speaking of God as a place of security and a place of rest. But the rock of Israel spoke to him. He who rules over men must be just, must be fair, ruling in the fear of God. And how great would that be for us to have just people who are ruling in the fear of the Lord? How much of a blessing would that be for us? You know, government leaders, of course, would lead the right way if they feared the Lord. If they had a high reverence, high respect for the Lord. In other words, if they took the Lord seriously, they would rule in a just manner, in a fair way. They would rule the right way. Starts with them fearing the Lord. And of course, those of us who may be in a position of authority. Maybe you're a husband, you're the man of the house, the priest of the home. Uh, Maybe you are a supervisor at work. Maybe you are the coach of a team. You can lead the right way if you were to fear the Lord. If you were to take the Lord seriously in your everyday lives. If you were to revere the Lord. But not only that, when it comes to leaders, especially government leaders. And I say that because this is the context of the next verse I'm going to share with you. So, so if that were to happen, someone righteous were in authority, the people would rejoice. Oh, the people would love it, according to Proverbs uh, 29, verse 2. Because it says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man, or you could say a wicked woman rules, because, you know, women, they have places of leadership in the country as well. It says the people groan. I want to share with you that there is only one perfect leader. There is only one perfect ruler, and that is God. And many of you already know that. And so the perfect government, I saw as one commentator said, the the perfect government would be a theocracy. That, That is a government in which God is the ruler. And that's what Israel had. But then they wanted to have a king like the other nations. And Samuel, if you remember the lesson... And first Samuel, oh, he was so disappointed, but, but God told him, look, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They are rejecting me, but the perfect government will be a theocracy where God is ruling. But other than that, other than God ruling himself, ruling, we could only hope for and vote for someone whose policies are as close to agreement with the word of God as possible. But, but the only perfect government is going uh, to be one where God is ruling, where Christ is reigning. And, and with that, I'd like you to turn to, write down, or take a picture of Isaiah chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. And this is speaking of the Messiah. And this is looking to the future, to the millennial reign of Christ. And if you're new to that word, the millennial reign of Christ, we're talking about the literal 1,000 year reign of Christ that is still yet future. 
And this, of course, this event where Christ is going to reign for a thousand years, literally and visibly on this earth from the uh, Jerusalem headquarters. Before that event could happen, there's, of course, going to be the rapture of the church where the church is removed from the earth and you have the seven-year tribulation period and then he comes back with us, with the saints and with the holy angels. And it talks about the judgment of the nations in Matthew chapter 25 where he's separating the sheep from the goats or in other words, he's separating, you know, those who come, who came to faith during the tribulation from those who did not come to faith. And so he'll reign for a thousand years. And so Isaiah 11 is looking forward to that. So verses three through five, it says his delight, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, when, when, when he was here in the first coming, Jesus was pleased to do the will of the father. And he always did what pleased the father, God, the father. In fact, the father said as much that he was pleased with Jesus. Every time he spoke about Jesus, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord, pleasing God, obeying the Lord. And it says, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity or in other words, or to execute justice for the meek, that is for the oppressed, for the afflicted of the earth. And and he shall strike the earth with a rod or a scepter of his mouth. And the scriptures tell us that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. In other words, during that millennial reign of Christ, it's going to be an enforced righteousness. People won't be able to act out. And so there'll be some of us who come back with him. We're, We're going to have glorified bodies. So that sin nature won't even be there in us. We won't be able to sin those who come back with him, but some are going to enter into this kingdom. As you see with the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25, some are going to enter in in their non-glorified body. So yes, the sin nature is going to be there, but they receive Jesus during the tribulation. And so there's going to be this enforced righteousness. He's going to rule with the rod of iron. They won't be able to act out. In fact, those people who go in and their non-glorified bodies, they're going to have offspring and their offspring is going to have offspring. And you can imagine how, how many children or how many offsprings they're going to be over a period of a thousand years. And then people won't be able to act out on their sin nature until Satan is released from his chains. And he's actually going to deceive people. It's actually going to work. And that's crazy, and it's going to prove once and for all that the problem is not the environment, that the problem is not the ruler, that the problem is not our family members, but the real problem is going to be shown is the human heart. And so it's going to be unbelievable, and, and you're going to, you can read about all of that in Revelation chapter 20. But notice this about Jesus, that not only shall he strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, so you know, he's going to come in judgment and, and it says, and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins or hips and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 23 verse 4 and it says, And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises at dawn. That's what it's speaking of. He shall be like a morning with clouds. And so uh, this, is, this is on the surface, of course, uh, David talking about, as he received the word from the Lord, he's talking about a ruler or a king who rules over men. Um, and, and he's a just king. And, and it's a king who's ruling in the fear of the Lord. So that type of king shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises. That type of king or ruler um, shall be like, you know, a morning without clouds and, and like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. So David was so poetic. Yeah, that's why he's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. So in other words, where it says, um, you know, uh, that he shall be um, like the light of the morning when the sun rises, the morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. It, it could also be translated this way. It should be like the glisten of rain on sprouting grass or the glistening on grassland that flourishes after a rain shower. And so that just ruler who fears the Lord will be a welcome and refreshing sight in the land. Uh, that, that just ruler who fears the Lord, who takes the Lord seriously, will be, like, will be the light like the sun when it rises at dawn. It's a welcoming sight and, and it'll be refreshing like that um, rain that's glistening on the grass after a storm. A welcome sight will be that ruler who is just and that, like that ruler who fears the Lord. But one day the son of righteousness and it calls God, it, it calls the Lord the son of righteousness in Malachi 4 two. that son of righteousness will reign at one point in time. And we talked about that already. And so the darkness of this age will be over. When our son of righteousness rises, this age will be over. The darkness, in other words, of this age will be dispelled. And it will be a glorious time of refreshing when, when the reign of Christ is here on this earth for a thousand years. Oh, we see a lot of darkness. There, there's a lot of craziness a lot of confusion right now a lot of a lot of darkness a lot of evil that we experience a lot of evil that we see but when the son of righteousness rises when he comes back to 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 sit upon the throne of david his forefather according to the flesh oh it'll be such a welcoming sight that evil is going to be dispelled it will be a time of righteousness Oh, he will have no rival. Uh, but how about us personally? Uh, oh, because some of us may be in a dark time right now. You may be a dark, in a dark time in your life. But, but I want you to understand that God can remove those storm clouds. God can dispel the darkness that, that you're experiencing in your life and in your situation. And I pray that the sun of righteousness will rise in your life. Like the sun rises at, at dawn. 
of every day that the Lord gives to us. And I will say this for the person who does not know Christ, who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They've never repented. They never trusted in Jesus for salvation. I just want to let you know that if the son of righteousness were to rise in your life, I would say the darkness that you are experiencing will be dispelled. That, that evil that you want to stop doing, but you can't stop doing, that can be dispelled. The darkness of your past will be dispelled if, if you allow the Christ Jesus, the son of righteousness to arise in your life. And he can if you were to repent and put your trust in Christ. But the question is, if you don't trust Christ right now, is is, will you allow him to do that? Will you allow the son of righteousness, Jesus Christ, to arise in your life by faith? Will you do that? He's he's willing to do it. And we go to verse five back in second Samuel 23. It says, although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant or agreement. It's ordered in all things and secure or guaranteed in every single detail. For for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? In other words, David is saying. Well, will he not bring about my whole salvation and my every desire? But in verse six, the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away. One translation says that they should be as thorns that are raked aside or that are discarded because they cannot be taken with hands. So you can just picture, if you look, you just pay attention to the imagery. You can just picture, you know, thorns, you know, literal thorns. You can't really take them with your hands. You get poked. It's not pleasant. And so the sons of rebellion, in other words, the wicked, they are like that. They'll be raked aside, discarded. Because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place or on the spot. And so as we we see how God is treating David. See, with David, God had made an everlasting covenant or agreement with him that he's going to have a dynasty. That he's always going to have somebody to sit on the throne. And that's going to be ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And David believed that everything that God promised him, everything that was in that agreement, that covenant, is ordered, is secure, is guaranteed. Every detail has been worked out that God is going to keep his end of the promises, his end of the agreement. He believed that. Oh, God is so gracious. Even now, he was gracious back then to David. But as opposed to how God was dealing with David, the the sons of rebellion, that is the wicked, they will be dealt with in another way. They will face judgment. And it's not because they can't experience the blessings that David is experiencing. But it's because of where they decide to position themselves in regard to God. 
They, they, the wicked, the sons of rebellion, they decide to stand outside of the safety of God. Just like people do today. And so this is the end of the wicked. And so it's, there's this picture here that is painted here in verses 6 and 7. These thorns not taken with hand but cast aside and burned on the spot. And so needless to say the ending is not good for the rebellious or for the wicked. And anybody who rejects Christ, anybody who doesn't have Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord will, will fall under this category. And unfortunately for the wicked, for the sons of rebellion, uh, the best is not yet to come for them, but for us, for the believers. The best is yet to come for us. This is the worst that is going to get for us. But unfortunately for the unbeliever, for the wicked, this is as good right now is as good as it's going to get for them. And the future is not so bright, but that can change. Through repentance and faith in Christ. In verse 8 in 2 Samuel 23 it says. These are the names of the mighty men. Or the mighty warriors whom David had. Okay so you're going to see some names here. So buckle up. I am am not going to pronounce all of these correctly. And so I could always sense the judgment in your minds. That that. That as I read, I know some of you that as I read and pronounce things a certain way in your mind, you're going to correct me. I'm going to say Josheb Bashabeth. And somebody's going to say in their minds, it's actually this. And so I know some of you are judging me. It's okay. I'll try my best. (laughs) But these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashabeth, the Tachmonite. Chief among the captains, or some translation said he's the head of the three. And that's according to the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, and according to the Vulgate, which is the Latin version uh, of the Bible. And so uh, chief among the captains, once again, could mean he's the head of the three, three mighty warriors. And it says that he was called, this Joshua Bathshebeth was called or nicknamed Adino the Esnite. Why? Because he had killed 800 men at one time. And if you look at the corresponding um, uh, corresponding chapter in the Bible or book in the Bible, which is 1 Chronicles 11, where you also see this type of list, there it says 300. So we don't know if 300, 800 men at one time. But either way, it's a lot of men that Adino the Esnite, also known as Josheb Bashabeth, had killed at one time. He was a mighty warrior. And then after him, that is after Josheb Bashabeth, there was this man named Eleazar, the son of Dodo or Dodai, according to First Chronicles. And, and it's called them the Ahohite. And he was one of the three mighty men or soldiers with David when they defied or challenged the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. And it says that he arose, that is, Eleazar arose, and he attacked the Philistines until his hand was, was tired, it was weary, and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder, that is, to take weapons and armor from the enemy. 
And so one of these mighty men, Eleazar, who was the second of the three mighty men who were named so far, he had done a great deed through the Lord. And notice that the people had retreated. The men of Israel had retreated, but he kept fighting and the Lord did something wonderful through him. But after he had won that victory through the power of the Lord, the people who retreated, it says, they came back to plunder. They came back to take the weapons and armor from the enemy. And there are many people today who um, are experiencing the blessings of people who had gone on before us who have done the hardest work. Oh, they laid the foundation, they plowed and they sold and, uh, and, and they did some wonderful things like that. And so those of us who follow behind them, things are a little easier. And so we can thank the Lord for people who, who stood there and, and fought and they've done so many hard things, those challenging things. And the Lord had done a mighty work through them. And so I haven't, I, can, I confess, I wasn't here when this, before this building was built. I wasn't here before the education building was built, but, but I can imagine that some people hard at work have done the planning and done the giving and, and they've done the labor and they've done some great things, putting the education building together and the youth center and, and got this campus together. It was a lot of dirt, but you, but, but you see all the plants and the trees and Pastor Jim, of course, he has a green thumb. He's really good with, with the trees. He loves his trees. So if you want to make Pastor Jim mad, tell him you're going to cut one of his trees. Don't, don't do that. But, but people before us have, have done all these things and we could get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Just like the, these people have done here after Eleazar have won this great victory through the Lord. And so we're to be grateful for those who have gone before us to be thankful for them. And in verse 11, it says, and after him, that is after Eleazar was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And it says the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Um, First Chronicles says barley. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself, speaking of Shammah, in the middle of the field. He defended it and killed the Philistines. And so the Lord brought about a great victory. So, so far we see the top three warriors, the top three of David's warriors. We've seen those so far. So, so notice though, how Eleazar's and Shammah's parts in the battles are mentioned. You see what they have done, what these two men have done. But ultimately the scriptures tell us that it was the Lord who brought the victory. And actually, there are some scriptures in the Bible, and I'll just choose one. I'll look at Psalm 108, verse 13. It says that through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. So, yes, we lend our hands, we lend our feet, we lend our mouths, our vocal cords, and all these things, our bodies to the Lord. But it is through the Lord that we do valiantly. It's through him that we can be bold and brave. But it is the Lord who treads down our enemies. And so, of course, we can do our part in the battle. Or we can do our part in whatever work God puts before us. But remember that the credit always goes to the Lord. In verse 13, 2 Samuel 23, it says, Then three... 
of the 30 chief men or these leading warriors, they went down at harvest time. And so, so these could be a different three, a, another three warriors, some commentators would say. And so three of the 30 chief men or soldiers, they went down at harvest time and they came to David at the cave of Adullam. And this could be a reference to to first Samuel 22 uh, verses one and two. And so while I mention that, um, go ahead and turn there. First Samuel 22 verses one through two, one and two. And maybe here is where David um, gained a lot of his warriors that are mentioned in this chapter in second Samuel 23, as well as in first Chronicles chapter 11. And so in first Samuel 22 verses one and two, uh, speaking of this cave at Adullam, it says that David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And he was running from King Saul, by the way, who wanted to kill him. He was jealous of him. And so when his brothers, when David's brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him and notice this. And here's where you see the part where he probably gained a lot of these warriors, these brave warriors that we're mentioning tonight. It says, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Speaking of David. So he became captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. So. As we look in in 2 Samuel 23, verse 13, where where it talks about three of these 30 chief men coming down at harvest time uh, to David at the cave of Adullam, it could be a reference to to 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, or it could refer to a later time of battle against the Philistines when maybe David went back to the cave of Adullam. So we're not sure, but just throwing out a couple of things there. But as we continue in verse 13, it says, And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold. He was in a secure place. And in the garrison or detachment of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, he had this strong desire. He says, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate or the city gate, speaking of the city gate of Bethlehem. And so the three mighty men, and again, this could be a second set of three mighty men than the first three that we mentioned. It says they broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the, the gate, that is the gate of Bethlehem, and they took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he, that is David, would not drink that water, but poured it out. And he poured it out, by the way, as an offering to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this, that I should drink this water. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. And these things were done by the three mighty men or the three mighty warriors, whoever these three may have been. They could have been Joshua, Bashabeth, um, Eleazar, and Shammah, or again, perhaps a different three. But, but David felt that he would have been 
selfish and even proud to drink the water that was brought to him from the men who could have been killed on his account. And the crazy thing about this is he he was just talking out loud. He wasn't really asking anybody to get him uh, this water, um, you know, from Bethlehem, from the well of Bethlehem. But they overheard him and these men, they jumped in and they brought him that water, but he would not drink it. He would have felt bad. He would have felt selfish if he would have drank it. it. He would have felt like he would have taken their lives lightly because they put their lives on the line. They could have gotten killed, you know, just going to this this well in Bethlehem just to bring him some water. And so, yes, I can understand. And I think it's right for David to pour out this water as a drink offering to the Lord because it is the Lord who sustained and protected those men. So David, he valued the lives of those men. Uh, But I wonder today if we truly value the sacrifice of others. Uh, Do we do we value the sacrifice of our parents? Do do we value the sacrifice of the military vets? Uh, Do we value the sacrifice of the first responders, of police officers and the firefighters? Do we value Their sacrifice. They have families as well. They want to make it home as well, safely to their families. Do do we value them or do we flippantly walk around life thinking that that people owe us? And I remember me just thinking about uh, my dad. I I grew up mostly with my with, with my father. And so my mom is still living, by the way, we have a great relationship, but I grew up mostly with my father. And I didn't know how bad things were. I knew he was a little sick and he had, you know, stopped working at some point. But me as a teenager, as a, and I was, I can't speak for all teenagers, but I was a selfish teenager who thought I knew everything. And I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be be in the end group with everybody else. And I wanted those name brand shoes like everybody else had. And I would get upset with my dad if I didn't get, you know, the name brand shoes, what I wanted. But it wasn't until I got a little older that I was, understood how much my father was struggling financially and with his health. And so now, of course, as I got older, I was more thankful for my dad. But, but, but are we flipping just walking around life thinking that people owe us, whether it's our parents or whether it's grandparents or, or maybe it's, you know, someone else who poured into us, who sacrificed so much. And uh, are we in that place of David where we just value we, we see the value in their lives, the value in their sacrifice. If we're not there, may we get to that place. In verse 18, and that could be a whole message, but I'll move on. In, in 2 Samuel 23, verse 18, it says, Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, he was chief. He was captain of another three. So some translations say 30 of another 30. In a, in a couple of Hebrew manuscripts and in the Syriac version, it, it may say 30. Uh, but in a lot of versions of the Bible, it says three, that he was captain of another three. And it says that Abishai lifted his spear against 300 men. He killed them and he won a name among these three or he became as famous as the three, as those top three warriors. And it says, was he not the most honored of three or as some translations say of the 30? Therefore, he became their captain or commander. However, he did not attain to the first three or he was not one or a part of that first three of those greatest warriors. 
but he was great. In verse 20, it says, Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant or brave man from Kabziel who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes. So in other words, he killed some famous warriors of Moab. And he also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on the snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian who was a spectacular or impressive man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. And so he went down to him with a staff or a club and he rested or took the spirit out of the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and he won a name or he became as famous as the three mighty men. And he was more honored than the 30 of those mighty warriors that we're going to read more about. And mostly we'll just read their names, but he did not attain to or he was not equal to those top three warriors, but he was awesome. He was great. Speaking of Benaiah, and it says, and David appointed him over his guard. And so these men, Abishai and Benaiah, they did not get to the level of those first three top warriors of David, but they were still honored. They were still great and they were still leaders. And that is a lesson in there for us. There is a message there for us that, that no, we may not all be able to lead hundreds and thousands of people to Christ. And not everybody could be a Greg Laurie. Not everybody could be a Franklin Graham or you can name that person so we may not all be in that position and we may not all be able to share the gospel with and teach the Bible to hundreds of people at a time but but whatever you do for God just want to let you know whatever you do for God it is not small it is not insignificant whatever place whatever platform God has given to you you be faithful in that place you be faithful in that platform if it's a Bible study with just two people, you'll be faithful in that. If God called you to be a person who's going to clean the bathrooms or, or vacuum the floors, you'll be faithful in that. There is nothing that you do for the Lord that is small and insignificant. So no, you may not attain to a Peter, to a uh, Paul to a James or a John. You may not be on that level, but be faithful in whatever God has called you to do because in God's eyes, in God's kingdom, in his economy, uh, the one who serves, the one who is slave to all, Jesus says that is greatness in his eyes. Amen. Amen. And so we get to verses 24 through 39, and this is where you're going to start judging and, and correcting me in your minds. You've probably done that already, but it says in verse 24, Asahel, uh, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shama, the Herodite, Elika, the Herodite, Heles, the Paltite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, uh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, uh, the Anathothite, Mebunei, the Hushathite, Zalman, the Ahohite, Maharai, the Netaphathite, Heleb, the son of Bayana, the Netaphathite, Itai, the son of Ribai from Gibeah of the children of Benjamin, Benaiah, uh, Pyrothonite, Hidei, from the brooks of Gaash, Abai, Alban, the Arbathite, As- Asmaveth, the Barhumite, Eliabah, the Shealbanite of the sons of Jason, Jonathan, um, and it should say the son of Shammah, the Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sharar, uh, the Hararite, 
Elephalet, the son of Ahasbei, the son of the Maacathite. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now, this is interesting because Eliam is actually the father of Bathsheba. And Ahithophel was David's counselor, which means that Ahithophel um, was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And so notice that Eliam, Bathsheba's father, was one of his mighty warriors, David's mighty warriors. And you know the sin he committed with Bathsheba. Then you have in verse 35, Hezrai, the Carmelite, Pearei, the Arbite, Igal, the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani, the Gadite. You have Zelek, the Ammonite. Neharii, the Biarathite, uh, who was armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah. And you have Ira, the Ithrite, and Gareb, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite. Uriah, the Hittite, was one of his mighty warriors, and that was Bathsheba's husband. And so David took his wife, fornicated, committed adultery with his wife, and then had him killed. And this man was one of David's faithful warriors. And it says here, 37 in all. And so when you look at the list in 2 Samuel 23 and in 1 Chronicles 11, they do contain a list of David's mighty men or warriors. However, you'll see that there are some differences. And so it is suggested by some commentators that the differences uh, that you see in 1 Chronicles 11 and 2 Samuel 23 in these list of warriors, it could be due uh, to the composition of this group of warriors changing from time to time because you'll have some warriors who die and some who, who rise up. And you'll also see that at the end it says, you know, 37 in all, but it starts off talking about 30. And so 30 could just be a round number, not to be taken literally. Uh, but with that being said, you can see here that there were many brave warriors who fought for the kingdom of Israel under the leadership of David, who was, of course, the king of Israel. But as you look around today, there are many warriors for the Lord. There are many warriors for the Lord who are a part of not the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God under the leadership of the greater than David, Jesus Christ. However, and this is where we go in a separate direction. However, yes, there's many warriors for the Lord, just like how David had many warriors for the nation of Israel. Like I was saying, however, we need the believers to step up and act like brave warriors in the body of Christ. I'm I'm not talking about just going out, start, you know, pounding on people and stabbing people. I'm not talking about that. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And so we'll need the believers to step up and act like brave warriors. You're a part of the body of Christ led by the greater than David, Jesus Christ. You are a warrior. You are a soldier. But are are we acting like it? Are we acting like a brave or faithful warrior to our king? And there is a type of warrior that we should be. And we've seen it in this lesson. Because one type of warrior we should be. It is a warrior whose hands are stuck to the sword. As you see in verse 10, you see that uh, Eleazar, he, he continued to fight and he was tired. But, but yet and still, he held on to that sword. His hands probably got cramped and, and stuck to the sword. 
And so be the type of warrior for Christ whose hands are stuck to the sword. And, and I'm talking about the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So, so is, that, is that you? Are you that type of warrior whose hands are stuck to the word of God, the sword of the spirit? Oh, you may get a little tired. You may get a little weary in the battle like Eleazar did, uh, but continue to hold on tight to the word of God to, to fight against the attacks of the enemy. Because the enemy, he's going to try to come against you to convince you to compromise. He's going to try to get you to fall into temptation. He's going to try to get you to stop fighting for your marriage, to stop fighting for your family, to, to give up when you're attacked, to turn your back on God when things don't go your way. But you're going to be a little weary from that. But, but hold on to the sword, to the, to the sword of the spirit, the word of God, just like Eleazar did. He, he didn't give up. He just kept fighting so be that type of spiritual warrior whose hands are stuck to the sword but but also but also we we want to be the type of warrior who will stand pat and defend our territory oh you see there's a guy in the bible we saw it in in verse 12 how shama another mighty warrior he he stood his ground oh it said that there was a group of Philistines, they, they stood together into a troop and there was a piece of ground full of lentils, probably full of beans. But you know what? That he was going to stand his ground. He was going to defend it. This was the Lord's land. He was defending that territory. He continued to defend it. And so spiritually speaking, be that type of warrior who will stand pat and defend your territory. So what, what am I talking about? Again, uh, switch your mind to the spiritual perspective. In other words, what am I saying here? I'm saying to keep swinging the sword of the spirit. Keep, keep swinging the sword of the word. Continue to pray. Continue to fight the battle through prayer. And don't move from your metaphorical or spiritual territory that God has given to you. Oh, God has blessed you to live in this country. He has blessed you to live in this state. And you see a lot of evil going on. And you may not, you may not feel like continuing to share the word of God. Because you don't like the way things are going. And so I would encourage you to continue to hold on to the sword of the spirit. Even though things in your country, in your state are not going the way you want them to defend your territory. This is where God has placed you. Continue to pray for the leadership. Continue to pray for the state. For, for, for the city's leadership. Continue to pray for your community. This is the territory, once again, that God has given to you, has placed you in. And, and guess what? The, the other metaphorical territory that he has given to us as an example is our marriage. So defend your marriage against the attack of the enemy. Keep swinging the sword. Keep holding on to the sword. Keep praying and do not move from your territory of marriage. Don't move from your territory of being a godly parent to your children. Continue to stay there as the worship team comes up continue to stay there and pray for your children and fight for your children via the word of God continue to stay in your territory that ministry or that outreach that the Lord has blessed you with and don't move continue to be like Shama be that type of warrior and then of course there's something I want to share with you and this is the final point 
is that like King David, we're not just asking you to be the type of warriors that God wants you to be or to fight the way that, one, that God wants you to fight spiritually. But, but like King David, surround yourself with like-minded warriors. You know, because remember, David was a great warrior himself, but he surrounded himself with great warriors. And they fought for the nation of Israel. They defended their king. And so for us, we're to associate, not just be godly warriors ourselves, standing our ground, defending our territory, spiritually speaking, holding on to the sword of the spirit. So we're doing that, but associate with like-minded warriors in Christ who who are going to go to battle alongside us, even when everyone else retreats. Remember that the the people, the men of Israel retreated, but these warriors kept fighting. Associate with those type of warriors who are going to fight alongside you. Associate with those who won't leave you hanging when the enemy attacks or when a trial comes. Associate with those who will pray for you as if they were in that situation themselves. Or you may be struggling with some type of health issue or some type of marital issues. And and so you want to associate with somebody who's going to pray with you as if they were having that health situation themselves. As if they were having that marriage issue themselves. As if they were having that problem at work themselves. Associate with those type of people who are going to go to bat for you and with you associate with those whose hands are glued to the word of God associate with those who are going to speak by this Holy Spirit just like David did as we've seen at the beginning of the lesson to associate with those warriors who are going to stand and fight and not going to abandon their territory or post associate with the faithful saints the faithful warriors of God and praise God that we go to a local fellowship where I'm looking at many warriors for Christ and I've talked to many of you and I know you are on your knees I know you are praying faithfully I know you are fasting you you're fasting for change you're you're praying for change you're you're faithful in doing the work of God and and you're not quitting you're you're not giving up I want to associate with you and thank you so much for being a part of this local fellowship and with that let's go to prayer father God we thank you for who you are and what you are to us And Lord, I thank you for their patience. I know we've gone over just a little bit, but Lord, help us to stay focused on you. We pray, Father, that you help us to to be the warriors that you called us to be, to be faithful to you, our true king. And we pray for anyone, Lord, who's not a believer in our families, in our circle of influence. I pray that you'll open up that door of witnessing for us. And over this Thanksgiving holiday, as we're not meeting next week, Lord, but as we meet with family and friends, our loved ones, during next week's holiday, help us to be that light and salt. Use us for your glory. And bless my brothers and sisters with safe travels as they leave this place and not your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.